fellas, welcome back to another episode of The Grown Man Project. I'm your host, Kurt Kersey. And on today's episode of the show, we have John McCaskill. He is a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness and meditation teacher. Uh, he's a Naval Academy grad and has his master's in operations research from the Naval Postgrad School. John served in Iraq, Afghanistan, off the coast of Somalia, and in Panama. So needless to say, he's got some great stories for us in this episode. Uh, he serves as the Deputy Executive Director for an organization called Veterans Path, which is a nonprofit that introduces meditation and mindfulness to veterans to bring them a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. See the alliteration there of path, right? He also right. now runs his own consulting company, McCaskill Consulting, uh, bringing mindfulness and meditation to high-performing teams to aid in dealing with stress, anxiety, and depression while increasing focus, creativity, and productivity. So needless to say, John knows what it means to be a grown man, and he's going to bring some cool wisdom to us today. John's wife also served in the Navy, so huge thank you to both of them for their service. She is now a civilian orthopedic physician assistant in Virginia Beach, and they are proud parents of two small children living in Chesapeake, Virginia. So John, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Kurt, thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I really like the point of your show. So when you reached out, I absolutely jumped at the opportunity to, to come on here with you. And I'm looking forward to the interview. Yeah, man, it's cool. We were chatting a little bit before we pressed record here, and it's cool to be talking with you the week that we are celebrating Memorial Day and celebrating fallen brothers and sisters that defended our country. So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't start the show by just saying huge thanks to both you and your wife for your service. Well, uh, thank you. And and uh, it's certainly been an honor and a privilege to, to serve this uh, amazing country and to serve beside some incredible men and women, uh, to include my wife. Uh, that's actually how we met, where we, we served together in Afghanistan. Um, that's where some of those pictures came from that you saw on, on LinkedIn, where, you know, yeah. her uh, service in Afghanistan. And yeah, absolutely, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, remember those who have fallen in the, in the service of this great country. So thank you for mentioning that and bringing it to light. Absolutely, brother. I, I, riffing off of that, like I'm excited um, as I was reading your bio, just as as someone who has was raised to admire and respect men and women that dedicate their their lives or a portion of their lives to to service of our country. Uh, I've been fascinated by the military culture, and and you know, as a man, just love hearing stories. Uh, from uh, men and women that have uh, sacrificed uh, their 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 time, their resources, their lives, often to be to to be in service of our great country. And in the pre-interview questionnaire that I sent over to you, I asked where you learned to be a grown man, and you left this amazing cliffhanger that said your first deployment as a SEAL. I'm like, man, how only a SEAL can say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. talk to us a little bit about like what, what what's the story behind that that comment? Sure. There? Yeah, I mean, I I thought that I was a man when I was you know turned eighteen years old. Uh, that was I was a senior in high school and eighteen. Thought I was this rough and tough kid, rough and tough man rather. And then uh, and then I enlisted in the Navy and I realized that I was just a, a young buck and didn't know anything. Uh, ended up going from the enlisted ranks to the Naval Academy, realized I still didn't know anything and uh, and then went through four years there 
graduated. I was like, all right, now I'm a man. I'm an officer in the in the United States Navy. I, I can lead men and women. And and then even even got married and thought I was a man then. And uh, that and and unfortunately that that was a, a first marriage. I, I am on my second marriage, and we'll get into that here in a bit. But um, yeah, that that first deployment. Um, was in 2005 uh, deployed as part of a task unit, a naval special warfare task unit to Afghanistan with the with SEAL Team 10. And if you've seen the movie or read the book Lone Survivor, yeah, um, I was a part of that that uh, operation. Not so much in that I was on the ground, but I knew all those men. Um, mm. I actually worked with uh, you know all of them side by side. And I was actually one of the junior, excuse me, I was one of the junior officers initially out there. So when you're a junior officer in the in the SEAL teams, you're kind of just learning the ropes, learning some of the administrative side of, of getting operations started, talking with other units, letting them know what it is you do, what your capabilities are, that kind of stuff. And Operation Red Wings, again, uh, if you've seen the movie or read the book, you know what happened. If you haven't, uh, short version is we sent in four guys uh, on the ground to do a reconnaissance mission. Uh, that mission was compromised by some goat herders. Those goat herders went and told the enemy where our guys were in the mountains, and uh, a pretty serious firefight ensued after that, where we ended up losing three of those four guys. Uh, Marcus Luttrell was the lone survivor of that group for Michael Murphy was the uh, officer in charge of that group. And he was, he was killed uh, making a phone call to call a, a quick reaction force. Mm-hmm. And um, that quick reaction force, one of the helicopters was shot down where we lost another 16 men. So eight seals and eight army night stalkers. Mm-hmm. So a total of 19 people. And, um, on board that helicopter were Lieutenant Commander Eric Christensen and Lieutenant Mike McGreevy. So all three of those officers were senior to me and some of the other officers uh, were at a different location in Afghanistan. So that took me from being the junior officer to being the senior man on the ground. And I was the senior ranking person, but I was not the most seasoned uh, Mm. in the, if you're aware of how the military works, you've got your officers and you've got your enlisted and the officers are positioned over the enlisted, but many of the enlisted have much more experience than, mm-hmm. than the officers. So this was my first deployment and there were some of the enlisted guys who had done many before and were much more seasoned, much more uh, operational um, than I was. And now I was in charge. And that was really what took me from being a young and naive, quite honestly, uh, almost almost arrogant person to now a, now a man who was responsible for those that I was with, those that I was uh, forward deployed with, wanted to make sure that they were taken care of emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually, um, and that all fell on on me um, at least for for a couple of days until we had a, another senior officer and, and several other senior people arrive on scene 
to, to help with that. But we had to make sure, you know, that the, the men and women were getting the food and sleep that they needed, um, that they were being seen by chaplains and counselors, um, that they were receiving the information from the battlefield that they needed to stay mentally in the fight. Um, and then also that we were talking to one another and just kind of um, letting everyone know what we were experiencing so we could kind of vent that emotional side of things and that allowed us to get back to a sense of normalcy a lot faster. Uh, and then when those more senior officers arrived on scene, we were able to get back into the into the fight um, as soon as possible without really missing much of a beat. So yeah, um, kind of a kind of a long story there, but yeah, that's that's where I feel my uh, my mentality changed from being kind of a young and, and innocent, naive boy or kid into into a man. I mean, you talk about a transformative. 48 to 72 hours, whatever, whatever that might've been. Yeah. I bet, I bet you learned a couple of years worth of wisdom as a man, <laughs> in just those few short sure days. Did. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a wake up call, a uh, rude awakening, but, um, yeah, I, I'm obviously a traumatic experience, but I'm very thankful yeah. for being there with those men, um, that I was with men and women. Uh, there were women in the task unit as well. Um, and being able to to lead at least for a brief stint, and then uh, and then I was able to come home uh, with Michael Murphy and Danny Dietz. I escorted uh, their their remains back home, and, and that was a huge honor for me. Um, so wow. um, certainly not something I wish upon anyone, but it's an experience that I look back on as a, a life defining moment for me. No question. My goodness, man. And to think, you know, that, that gives me the chills even to be, to be talking with you, like feeling even through, through a zoom call to be even that connected to, you know, that, that experience that has really, I think, defined, um, maybe defined our generation, especially perspective on what it means to serve, you know, that, that book and that movie I've heard, Mar I've been blessed to hear Marcus speak a couple of times, and yeah, just to hear awesome. the story, man, just like a, a just a, a heart forward guy, you know, in a powerful yeah. way. But man, for you to be uh, that connected to that story, be so integral to that story and that reality. And then, you know, how many how many guys I know that have have done or at least attempted uh, the Murph yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, for you to <laughs> be Memorial connected Day. to his memory. That's powerful, man. Yeah, yeah on Memorial yeah. Day all this. Um, actually, if, if you got like two minutes, I got uh, a yeah. pretty wild story about that. Uh, about yeah, Michael go, Murphy. So uh, one of my classmates from the academy who I went through buds with, his name's Andy Halfley. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Murphy actually accidentally shot Andy in training. Um, and and uh, Marcus Luttrell saved Andy uh right there on the scene. He was the, he was the corpsman, the doc, if yeah, you will, yeah, on, yeah. on scene. And he saved Andy and Andy ended up in the hospital for weeks after that. Um, and funny enough, while he was in the hospital for that gunshot wound, uh, was found to have testicular cancer Oh wow! and otherwise it would not have been found. And in a way, Michael Murphy shooting Andy, saved Andy. So 
Oh my gosh. Andy was shot by a Medal of Honor recipient and in a weird way kind of saved by him. And then also physically and quite literally saved by a Navy Cross recipient with uh, Marcus Luttrell. <laughs> Man, Andy's a special dude. God, God yeah, must yeah, he is. Cool for yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's living a, you know, a good life uh, in Colorado, wife and kids doing well. Uh, he ended up getting medically retired, but um, he's he's doing well for himself and, and the family. And anyway, it's just a kind of weird side story that not many people know. That's amazing, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, shout out Andy. Great, grateful <laughs> for everyone that played a part in saving your life, brother. Definitely. <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit, John. You know, you you talked about the importance of learning from your parents uh, before we started recording, and I, you know, I'd imagine you know we're listing off all of these seals, all of these servicemen that uh, we all recognize their names, right? And then for you to say, but you also, you got to learn from the wisdom of your parents. Talk to me about sure. why that's so important, especially for a guy like you. Yeah. So I kind of look at my parents as my heroes uh, still to this day. Uh, I was born in Cape Town, South Africa, and I was one of five children, uh, oh, wow. three older sisters and a younger brother. And in 1984, so I just turned seven, um, my parents you know, pulled the five of us up and moved us to the small town of Ruston, Louisiana. Uh, initially, uh, on a one-year working visa for my father, and we got our green cards and uh, became citizens, and kind of the rest kind of fell into place. One of the reasons they pulled us out of South Africa, ironically, um, well, first off, the government was falling apart, apartheid they didn't agree with, and uh, and then the third reason was my brother and I would have been years later after we graduated high school, we would have been conscripted into the military. <laughs> so, uh, I, we came over here to the States and I voluntarily uh, enlisted in the, in the military for the United States. But, um, yeah, I, I think that was, we talked about a life defining moment for myself earlier. Well, I think that was life defining moment for my parents. Like I can't imagine. So th they were my age now when they did that. Mm. And I can't imagine leaving the country that you had grown up in, that you had known for your whole life, pulling your five kids and moving to a country you've never been to, have no friends in, um, that, that is just incredible to me. So that was, that was the start of it. And then obviously they raised us, they raised five kids. And I think they raised us with good moral values. Uh, we, we, we actually didn't have a whole lot of religion in our family. We were we were all um, christened, but my parents were are not very religious, so they kind of let us choose our own path in, in religion. Um, being in the South, I, I grew up kind of in, in the Southern Baptist in the in the Bible Belt there, and uh, and and that's where my friends were. So that's kind of where I went. Now I'm kind of uh, I, I don't consider myself. Baptist per se, but I'm, I'm a non-denominational Christian. And um, I think in a weird way, my parents not pushing us to go a certain way in religion allowed us to choose what, what we wanted to do, what mm -hmm. we believed. And I think that was a, a huge lesson learned there. Um, we didn't feel pressured to follow any particular route. Um, and then that going back to the moral values they instilled, I remember 
uh, one time I, I ran track and cross country and I had a, a particularly good race and it was you know, published in the newspaper the, the next day or, or something, maybe a couple of days later. And, uh, at the time, you know, the internet didn't exist, uh, kind of dating myself, but the internet didn't exist and, uh, or at least not to where it is today. And certainly were no smartphones. So we went to a, um, a local little newspaper stand and I put 25 cents in and picked up like four, you know, you can put 25 cents in, open okay. it and grab, you could grab the whole stack. Right. Well, yeah, for like, for the, like under 25 people listening, these, these yeah. stands used to be on the street where you could buy <laughs> right, your right. newspaper. Right? Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It was, it was kind of all on the honor system. You put 25 cents, you're supposed to grab one and then close it and then put 25 cents. Well, I grabbed four of them and I walked back to the car and my dad was like, Hey, what'd you do there? I was like, you just got the newspaper. He's like, yeah, but I only saw you put 25 cents in and you have four copies. And uh, he went back to the newspaper stand, put 25 cents, opened it and closed it and did it, you know, three more times to pay for those other three copies of that same newspaper that I had. And he's like, you always pay for what you get. Mm. Um, and that is a, you know, small, seemingly insignificant thing. I don't, he probably doesn't even remember it, but it sticks out very much in my head of, of a moral lesson that he taught me. Um, and, and that has stuck with me. And, and so I, I think my parents had a lot to do with instilling a sense of honor and truth and loyalty. Um, and, and that has carried on throughout my life. So, uh, they, yeah, they were definitely a huge part in me becoming, uh, in becoming a man. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think, you know, um, we, thinking about, uh, I consider myself a father in training. <laughs> Casey, Casey and I, my wife and I are very intentional about we definitely want to have kids in the not so distant future. Uh, we have some close friends that are just kind of entering that that phase of life. And, it, and you think about, it, it does kind of force you to think about, gosh, all those moments that you have from your folks uh, maybe for some of us, a lot of great ones, maybe for others, a lot of not so great ones that uh, inevitably shape who you are and who you become, your value system, the way you think about the world uh, and just the weight of that. And so I know you all have two small children. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I have a, a daughter named Mia. She's uh, three years old and a, and a son named Taylor. And he's uh, just turned one. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Y'all are busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. And we just moved out of our 2,500 or close to 3,000 square foot house into a 250 square foot RV. Uh, no so, way. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, There's certainly an adjustment going on right now. <laughs> no kidding, brother. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Y'all are on an adventure. So, so yeah. talk to me about that decision like how, how did you make that call to move into it i mean we can't leave that yeah. stone unturned right so sure um so about two years ago my brother-in-law my wife's brother um he had an rv that he was just using to go to like the uh, florida state uh, tailgates mm -hmm. and uh, and then realized that it was sitting around a lot and he offered it to us uh just to take over the payments and we, we could have it uh so we did that and my wife is ridiculously handy i think i even may have mentioned yeah. this in the in that one post like she's yeah. built the the deck on the back of our house uh or our old house that we just sold um built the crib that my kids 
were in when they were babies uh, has just she's just a freak when it comes to uh, being handy. And uh, she gutted this entire RV from front to back, bottom to top, um, like Joanne, uh, Joanna Gaines style. Yeah. Chip, like Chip, I was in there like tearing stuff up. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I can't believe we're tearing this perfectly good RV up. <laughs> and uh, she has turned it into a beautiful rig. It feels more like a home than an RV. It's small, but it, it definitely feels uh, much more homey. But anyway, she kind of talked me into, hey, look, the kids are young. They're not in school yet. You're about to retire from the military. Why don't we take the opportunity to see this country? So we're going to spend the next six to 12 months cruising around the country in this RV. Uh, we're going to be full-time RVers. I don't know if you've ever seen the old movie RVers or RV. Um, it, it's pretty ridiculous. But uh, we are going to be those people bouncing around in our RV for a few months. And then ultimately, we plan on ending up in Colorado Springs uh, to, to live. So oh, that's this amazing. is a stepping stone toward that. That's amazing, man. What a cool adventure for y'all yeah, to go we're looking on. Forward to it. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that, man? How cool too to think about, you know, you talk about the legacy of your parents, right? Of of picking up and moving you guys from South Africa to the US and like that that experience for y'all, even though you don't necessarily remember all of those details, but just that that bravery, that adventure, uh, adventuresome nature, like how cool for your kids to, to know that that was, that's part of their story now. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's really cool, man. You, you talked about, you know, when we were talking a little bit before recording, we were talking about just this role as a dad and the importance and responsibility of that. And, and even before the role as a dad, the role as a husband. Uh, and, and I asked you, you know, what, what would you want to make sure you talk about with uh, a young father or, or a young husband, a new husband. And yeah. I, thought, I thought your response was amazing. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I touched on a minute ago that I'm on my, my second marriage. And my, my first marriage, quite honestly, I think I, I, think I kind of rushed into it. Mm. Um, and my, my first wife, great lady, she's she's remarried and has little ones of her own uh we had no kids together we were married for 10 years and oh, wow. uh, i have tremendous respect for her and, and who she is but i think we i think we both rushed into it hmm. because i think there's an expectation in society where you kind of go through high school go to college and now the next thing is hmm. to get married and I think if you truly are ready, then that's great. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, looking back, hindsight being 2020, I don't think I was ready because I touched on, hey, I wasn't even a man then, right? I, I, I think I mentioned that I got married, then I went on my first appointment, and that's kind of when I became a man. And even after that, I still, um, I still acted a fool in my in my marriage, my first marriage. Uh, yeah, I would say don't rush into it because you feel that's the expected next step. If it takes five, 10, 15 years to find your spouse, your partner in life, then, then that's, that's worth waiting for. Um, I'm remarried and I, I truly found the partner uh, who fits my life. We fit one another and we have a very healthy relationship. And, um, we, 
talk with one another about, you know, what we're, what we're experiencing in the relationship. Um, the relationship is work and we realize that and we, and we put in the work. Whereas before where I was kind of young and dumb, uh, I thought, Hey, you get married and everything just falls into place. Um, I don't think that I put in the work in that first marriage that I, um, could have. And, and quite honestly, that I don't think the relationship was built upon the, the foundation that it should have been in the first place. So yeah, as far as a, a husband or potential, uh, future husband, I would say don't rush into it <laughs> as far as a father. <laughs> I'm still learning, man. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, uh, but, but there's definitely hard times. Uh, I mean, I love my kids to death. They're my pride and joy. Uh, but there are times when I'm like, oh my gosh, you're really trying my patience. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in the front of the RV that I just mentioned, my wife and I were going back and forth about where the kids were going to sleep because it's it's a 31-foot Class C. I don't know if you know anything about RVs, but it's it's a motor home. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of over the driving cab, there's a bed, but it was it's too high for the kids to sleep in. We didn't want to put like a bunk bed anywhere because that takes up living space. So what we ended up doing was we built a crib in that cab above the driving spot. Oh, wow. But it's a, the the rails of the crib go from the from the bottom of the bed to the top. It's like a cage. It literally is like a cage. And there's even a door that closes and locks so they can't uh, you know fall out of the thing. <laughs> and uh, there are times when we're like, okay, we just need a break. So we take the kids, put them in the in the quote unquote cage lock it and then you know face the tv towards it and uh and turn it on it sounds a lot worse than it is the kids are fine they're perfectly happy they've got little snacks and drinks up there and and you know they watch a movie while uh, my wife and i are sitting there on the couch watching the same movie we're all together it's just a way to to have some time as husband and wife because i think that's incredibly important even when you have kids is the the priority should still be on your spouse and that takes a heck of a lot of work to prioritize your spouse when you've got little ones who really need the care well, your spouse needs that care and love too. And you just don't realize it because you're like, well, they're fully grown. Mm. Yeah. As a father and, uh, and as a spouse, those are kind of my tidbits of, of, uh, advice. I mean, I've got tons more lessons learned and lots of mistakes that I've made along the way. Um, but that would be, our episode would be way too long if that's I shared right. them all. <laughs> full, full day episode. Maybe yeah, maybe sometime right. in the future we'll have you to uh, <laughs> a, a weekend retreat or something. Yeah, there you go. You can dig in a little bit deeper. I'm curious, you know, uh, a lot of your work with uh, with veterans and with uh, high-performing, high-performance high executives is centered around meditation and mindfulness. And, yeah. I, you know, oftentimes I think especially as Christians – we hear meditation and mindfulness and we think like it's like some woo-woo spirituality practice. Yeah. And yet I see kind of this trend where more and more Christians are realizing meditation and mindfulness is being an apprentice of Jesus. You know, Jesus practiced meditation and mindfulness uh, yeah. more than anyone that's ever walked the earth, right? And so I'm curious, you know, when you think about uh, being a man, being a grown man, how does meditation and mindfulness uh, play a role in our development or how should it play a role in our development? Yeah. A couple of things there. So meditation and mindfulness and then prayer 
Uh, and that's the, that's the question I get from a lot of Christians. Like, well, as a Christian, how do you, how do you practice this Buddhist practice? Well, mm-hmm. first off, uh, it's, it's not solely Buddhist. It may have been um, discovered or founded in Buddhism, but that doesn't mean it's only for Buddhists. So that's, that's my answer is it's not strictly exclusively for Buddhists. First off, second prayer in itself is a form of meditation. You're just bringing God into that meditation. Some people talk about, you know, prayer is when you talk to God and then scripture is when he talks to you, right? You get into the scripture. Well, the, the, the other saying is prayer is when you talk to God, meditation is when he talks to you mm, uh, because you can really be in a, in a quiet and listening state, you can mm-hmm. see and, and feel things that you may not have seen, uh, not, not literally, but you know, the figurative seeing, um, before and that can help things to bubble to the surface even in a spiritual sense so i don't think that prayer and meditation are mutually exclusive i think there's quite a lot of overlap there Mm -hmm. as far as the uh, bringing meditation into daily life and for high performers kind of goes for me i gotta kind of give you some context it goes back to that story where i was talking about lone survivor and and, you know the, the loss of all those guys Personally, I had a lot of survivor guilt from that um, because I wasn't on that operation. And there was a lot of why them and not me kind of thing. Of course. And that that carried on into my relationship with my my first wife and uh, caused me a lot of depression and anxiety and stress. And I was on different forms of medication and doing different types of counseling. And I think there's a time and place for that medication. Uh, but for me personally, it, uh, I think it caused me to be somebody who I wasn't. And finally, I talked to a, a psychologist who recommended mindfulness and meditation. And uh, I'll skip all the parts where I, hey, I pushed back against them. I was like, hey, that's woo-woo. I don't know about all that meditation stuff. But long story short is I started practicing. And after several months, started to see that that impact in my life, started to see that the stress levels were coming down. The anxiety was coming down. The depression was going away. Uh, I felt a lot better about things in general. But on top of that, I was communicating better with my spouse, um, enjoying my time with my kids. And then even further on top of that, my performance was improving. Like I was paying attention better at work. I was focused on the task at hand. The the stress at work was less. So if, you know, my boss came with an assignment, I didn't instantly go into stress mode. I was like, okay, this is a task. Let's attack it and and move on. So I started to see how the meditation was actually helping me mentally and and emotionally, but then also was helping my performance. Um, So in, in meditation, you rewire, rewire your brain to react rather than reacting with the amygdala, which is the part of your brain that's wired for fight, flight, or freeze, you start to respond with your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain responsible for the cognitive thinking, the responsible, or sorry, the rational part of your brain, um, I guess responsible as well. Uh, and that helps to improve your performance. So while I was going through kind of, the ideas of what I was going to be doing after I got out of the military, um, I realized that I was 
improving my own performance through meditation. And then I thought, you know what, I could bring this to others. So I teach, teach people about that rewiring of the brain through meditation to improve their performance as far as a personal consultant uh, or, or organizational consultant. Um, but then with the veterans, we teach with the, the nonprofit that I work with, um, Veterans Path, which you alluded to earlier, we teach veterans those same life-changing and, and quite literally life-saving skills of mindfulness and meditation to improve their resilience, their grit, their ability to deal with stress and anxiety um, and depression, ultimately to, to help to save their lives. And then the, the byproduct of that is that their performance improves. So you get some people who go through our programs who have had uh, really low spots in their lives. They're unemployed. They've been suicidal. Um, and now after going through the program and actually practicing, they are you know, lawyers, high-performing individuals, family members or family men and women um, raising kids. Uh, and, and they're just phenomenal members of our society. And, they're, and then they're taking that forward and teaching others. So I, I have a huge personal, uh, I guess, testimony yeah. uh, to the power of meditation. And then, yeah, I also have, uh, I have prayer and, and Jesus Christ uh, in, in my life. So yeah. uh, normally I don't touch on that, uh, but in your show, I know that's a, that's a focus. So I feel very comfortable talking about that and that I am Christian and that is a huge part of my, my, uh, my foundation. Well, I think as you shared, they're they're powerfully intertwined, right? I've I've kind oh, yeah. of dabbled in meditation and mindfulness a little bit, and I, I've I've definitely seen incredible results. And so, it, it needs to be something I focus on more. So maybe you and I should chat about that separately. But <laughs> yeah, definitely, um, yeah, you, man. You know, it'd be I, I think too just remiss if I didn't say again, thank you for your work, especially with our country's veterans. I think you, you think about a population in our nation that deserves to live full lives after their commitment to our country uh, and the sacrifices that they made. Um, so thank you for making that possible for, for those folks. Yeah, well, that's, that is certainly uh, an honor and a privilege. I talked about an honor and a privilege to serve as a military member. This is just another honor and privilege to serve in another capacity and, and serve those who have served. So I'm, I'm blessed to, to be doing this. Uh, I, I wake up every day uh, and, and I'm excited about attacking work. So, uh, amazing, yeah, John, my you got a powerful story, a powerful mission that you're on my friend. Uh, if anybody listening wants to learn more about veterans path or get in touch with you through your work with McCaskill consulting, where would you send them? Sure. Uh, so with veterans path, you can just reach out to me, J O N John, uh, at veteranspath.org. Um, you can check out our podcast. I, I have a podcast for Veterans Path where I interview people who've gone through our programs or people who are mindfulness or meditation practitioners um, or very high performing individuals uh, brought on several Olympic athletes, um, very high performing corporate leaders uh, who practice mindfulness and meditation so that can help you to kind of realize that this is not woo-woo and for the weak of mind, it is actually the inverse. It's for those who are really strong-minded and, and it can help you to get that strong mind. So John, J-O-N at veteranspath.org for that one. Um, as far as uh, McCaskill Consulting, that's just John McCaskill, J-O-N, 
M-A-C-A-S-K-I-L-L at mccaskillconsulting.com, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We'll confirm that and make sure that's right in the show notes. (laughs) No, that's perfect, brother. I mean, I think I would encourage anybody that's listening that's just curious about what that could look like in their world to to reach out to John. Uh, John, you've been nothing but kind and courteous in the short time that we've gotten to know each other. But uh, I'm, pleasure, I'm excited brother. to learn more about what you're up to and, and you know, get involved in any way we can. Uh, I think especially, too, you know, if, if anybody listening has a heart for the veteran um, and wants to uh, be a part of what John is doing, the, the short time that I've spent learning about Veterans Path, uh, but now in this conversation, especially here with you, John, I, I mean, I think an amazing organization doing amazing work. Um, so if you're looking for a place for dollars or resources to go, veterans path might be a, might be a good (laughs) for you there. Thanks for that plug, man. I appreciate that. Certainly we, uh, we do operate at no cost to the veterans and it is solely on, on fundraising and donations. So yeah, I I certainly appreciate that plug. (laughs) Absolutely, brother. Well, John, thanks again for coming on the show, brother. Yeah, man, my pleasure. It's been a, it's been an honor and a a lot of fun. So thanks, Kurt. Fellas, here's the deal. We have way more people listening to this podcast than we do on our email list. What's up with that? If you are listening and you are not signed up for the grown man email list, I don't know what you're doing with yourself. (laughs) Go to grownmanproject.com, get signed up for the email list. We deliver one email a week. That's it, one email a week, but it is packed with resources, other podcasts we're listening to, books that we're enjoying, uh, new opportunities to engage with us and, and the community here at Grown Man. And so I would love to be able to send that to you once a week. And if you don't like it, guess what? You can unsubscribe. It's really not that hard. But I have a great feeling that if you like this podcast, you will love the email series. So go to grownmanproject.com, get signed up there. Thanks as always for listening to the show. I love the community that is rallying around what it looks like to boldly step into manhood. I appreciate each and every one of you. Let's go be grown men. 